chapter 22, if you would, this evening. Appreciate seeing everybody in church Wednesday night. Genesis chapter 22, if you um, have been with us, of course you know um, kind of where we're at and what we're going through. If you haven't, um, we're in a series titled Forget You, to Encourage You, Lift You Up, right? No, I think it does really uh, at the end of the day, and I think as we get through this and um, hopefully, um, Lord willing, it will make sense Um, why we're laboring on these things and why we're continuing in them and taking time in them. Uh, I just know for me how God's worked in my heart uh, about these things and the things that we've been preaching uh, is just the weight of them over time, over the sheer amount of scriptures uh, that deal with us getting our eyes focused on Him instead of us starts to seep in. You start to realize things kind of as that washes over you. And, and ho- I, that's, that's my prayer uh, that happens for us here as we go through these things. But Genesis uh, chapter 22, we'll read about the first 18 verses. A familiar story uh, you probably know of here. Uh, um, and so uh, we'll read it starting in verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, 
that in blessing will I bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful tonight for your word and for who you are. And God, as we seek to peer into your word a little bit this evening and see some of who you are and what you desire from us, might we, might we be open to what you would have for us. Might we be here tonight desiring to hear from you, desiring to have you influence our lives. God, I know it's so easy, Lord, on a, on a Wednesday night and throughout the busyness and of our lives and all of the things that we're uh, compassed about with to just come and be tuned out and to just fulfill our, our role of showing up to church. Uh, but God, might we be here for a purpose to hear from you, to do business with you. Uh, and God, we ask that you'd bless that, that we might see a little bit of you, hear from you, and meet with you tonight. We ask your hand on, on the service and, and all that comes here. We love you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is um, one of, I would say, uh, the hardest passages in the Bible to just wrap your head around, to just grasp what's taking place here. Uh, of course, if you know the story of Abraham Abraham had uh, years ago followed God out of his home to a foreign land upon a promise from God. And if you really think about what that looks like, this is a God that's revealed to Abraham only as this voice from heaven. Uh, the knowledge of God is something passed on by word of mouth. There's no written revelation here. He's got no Bible to look to. Everything he knows about God is what he heard from mom and dad or what God has directly communicated to him. Very little knowledge. And so when God shows up and said, Abraham, go over there, he follows. I mean, amazing faith when you think about it. We struggle to follow God, and we've got a whole book. All he heard was, Abraham, go over there. And he goes, okay. And he follows God, and they do so for years, I mean, you've got Abraham and Sarah who had not been able to have children their entire lives. Abraham being about 75 when God had called him. And God calls them and promises them a son. And that this son would flourish and ultimately lead an entire nation blessed of God. That through this promised seed, that there would be a nation of people that are not just blessed, but that the world is blessed through them, we understand, through the promise of a Savior. And so for 25 years, Abraham and Sarah follow God, finding themselves often in danger and hardship as strangers in a foreign place. And for 25 years, they do this with no fulfillment of the promise. I mean, for 25 years... All they know is God said, go over here, and he promised a son. And for 25 years, they're waiting for this kid. Abraham, starting out, 75. <laughs> it's not a sprite young man here, right? 
Uh, Even getting to the point where we see it's ridiculous that they would have a, a child as old as they get to be. And yet they continue and they're faithful. They, they follow God. And even though, in a way, you can even see Sarah mocking and laughing at the thought that God actually would come through, yet they're still following him. They're still obeying him. And it, it seems as if God uh, uh, had finally uh, allowed them to say that they've proven themselves, that they've uh, given what they ought to have given in following him. And God comes through on the promise of a son. And Isaac is born. And a wonderful thing, a miracle for those that were their age to have a son, a miracle that they'd been barren their entire lives and yet would have a child at that age. Uh, And if you have children here, you know that that's... uh, Just to have a child at all is something special. I mean, that alone, right there. I mean, it's almost amazing. I just recently had another daughter, fourth, and you would think, you've done it four times. It's not... Not special anymore. It's just another person at this point. No, each, I mean, it's so weird. You have this baby's born, and objectively you look at it and you go, that looks like a baby. You with me? Can we be honest here? I mean, a baby looks like a baby. You with me? For the most part. Now I know every woman's going, no, no, babies are, they're so cute and they're precious. You, you, all those that have seen my baby, if I took my baby and a hundred other babies about the same color and lined them up, you wouldn't tell which one was mine. Let's be honest here. I'd be lucky to tell which one was mine. And it's amazing, they don't, they don't have a personality, right? They don't come out of the womb and you go, I, I love the person you are. They're not, they're just, they just eat and sleep and cry. That's all they do. And yet... Despite that, you hold this baby, and for, for no logical reason in your own mind, you go, I would die for this thing in a heartbeat. No questions asked. Um, is, isn't that weird? It's just amazing that way. Uh, that this, this baby, that even if I've had th- three others of them, uh, is something you love so much. And that's true even though I've never had to experience the hardships of infertility, And I understand if those of you that maybe have had that uh, and finally are able to have a child, that feeling must be that much more amplified of just the baby, mine own child. And Abraham, at this point in his life, Sarah, at this point in her life, holding this baby, it must be finally the only one, the promised one, the one we've sought our whole life can only imagine what that would feel like. Not only their own and only precious son, but the promise of a future line, the proof that this God they're hearing voices of is real and trustworthy. Amazing, all of that. And so Isaac grows and they enjoy years together, watching Isaac grow and mature. And they've got this little family living happy in the blessings of God. I mean, it's almost as if no hardship at this point could really be that bad, knowing that they had this son they've longed for their whole lives, that God had come through, that he will be this father of this great nation. And Isaac now, close to being a man, and in the most maybe confusing and painful turn of events for them, God shows up one day 
and tells Abraham to take his near-grown son to the mountain and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. I mean, we read that, and it's, that, those words are so difficult to wrap our minds around. I mean, can you just imagine the confusion, the pain uh, that they would have experienced there? The doubt in everything that they've heard and experienced and the things that they've seen, it, not, it doesn't make sense at this point. I mean, imagine today God showing up to you and telling you to kill your child. I don't know about you, but I'm not good with that. <laughs> and I mean, suspend the understanding that we know that God never would do that, uh, and that if you're hearing voices from heaven telling you to kill people, you get help, I under, all right? I understand all that. But imagine that, suspending that belief, that the idea that you think God would desire you to kill your own child. I don't know, I don't know any of us that would be good with that. And you think about this story as God shows up to him, and you think, how could that be? Why would God do this? What would this accomplish? And the Bible says, he even gives the understanding, God says this, God did this to tempt Abraham. And we think of this word, it's not the idea of temptation, but the idea of proving or testing or revealing him. And of course we understand the passage and we, and we know probably the thoughts behind it and what's here. Uh, we understand that as God is desiring to tempt or to test or to prove or to reveal Abraham, he's doing this not so that he can see who Abraham was. He already knows who Abraham is. This is for Abraham. God has designed an event here for Abraham so that Abraham could take the thing that was most precious to him, and that Abraham would know and decide 100% in his heart who was the most important person in his life. Who was number one to Abraham? And that's an extreme way to show that to Abraham. But this is the, this is the test. This is to prove. This is the kind of test, in other words, that kind of changes you by taking it. You with me here tonight? This is the kind of test that when Abraham comes through it on the other side, he's a little different than when he went into it. This is something that reveals something to Abraham. This isn't the test to really get, have God get information from Abraham. This is a test that Abraham gets information. So that Abraham can know if the other side really, he's made a choice. Either God is the most important in my life, or this son is the most important thing in my life. And God puts it to this kind of a, a real test. And, and we read no deliberation from Abraham in this account. But we have to know this is not a light thing for Abraham. And by choosing the right answer, if you will, he became someone who understands really who God is and what God wants from him Better probably than most people who have ever lived. I would say that here tonight. That Abraham coming through this event in his life, and Sarah coming through this event here, on the other side would understand really what God was after much better than, I would say, even maybe most of us. Because most of us, we understand what God wants, and we understand where God's at, and we understand God would want us to have him at the highest priority. 
But Abraham had to come do, through it and take, in, as far as he understood, a very real choice between the son, the precious son, his only son that he loved more than anything he could have possibly loved in this planet, and God. And in his mind, he had to make a very real choice between those two things. And we understand how it ends. We just read it. That is, Abraham is literally ready to take up the knife to slay his son. God says, no, don't do that. Put that knife down. In other words, God says, listen, I never wanted you to hurt Abraham. I mean, hurt Isaac. I never wanted that. That's not, that was never my desire. Don't hurt him. Don't cut him. Do him no harm. That was never the point. And as Abraham puts Isaac on the altar and does this in obedience to God, God actually reveals that God's intention was never for Abraham to hurt Isaac. Never the idea that any pain he endured, was, any, any struggle here was not to torture Abraham, that there was a greater plan here. That this God that he was following here, this God that he had heard voices from, that really he didn't know very much about, is now proving to him that he loves him and actually, even though he wants first place, is not asking for actual sacrifice of Isaac. You understand that? That's significant here. This is all going somewhere, if you're with me. <laughs> this God that he really doesn't know very much about is saying to him, I want first place, but I would never ask you to hurt your son. You with me? All of that is revealed from this event and what God tells him. He says, I, I want first place in your life, but not at the detriment or the harm of your child, actually. His understanding of God is only about a written word, uh, word of mouth or what God's revealed to him and, and his obedience and following him. Uh, he, he doesn't have the understanding that we would have where we would go, God, you would never do this. He learned that at this moment. God tells him, listen, I really would never do that. It's an amazing thing to know. He ne In other words, Abraham needed to know that about God, that God wanted first place, but he would never have him do that. And he needed to understand that, and we read this understanding in actually Hebrews, it's not revealed in this text here, but Abraham, as he comes to this moment, in Hebrews eleven seventeen, it says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And look at what it says he knew. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. That his understanding at that point was, I believe God so much to the point that if God would have me kill Isaac, it must be because he's going to resurrect him. I mean, that level of faith. He believed the Lord would keep his word in that way. And we understand, of course, looking back on this moment of history, looking back on this story, we understand what all of this signifies, don't we? We know what all of this is a picture of. I mean, even so many of the phrases, uh, knowing and seeing even the sovereignty of God and the way things were said even. Amazing. God will provide himself a lamb. 
That was, listen, that was not on purpose from the writer. That was him. He's saying that. I mean, all of what goes into this, it's all revealed. I mean, you look at Genesis 22, it says, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. And we come to verses like John 3, 16, where God would say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, this is not a coincidence. This is what, I mean, God wanted us to see this. And so, through Abraham's testimony, we see the imagery of God's actual sacrifice of his son. That God would reveal in John 3.16 and in many other verses that this, this sacrifice is the giving of God's only son. And we look at the hardship and the pain and the sacrifice in Genesis 22, and that's only what might have been. You with me? No one died there. No one was sacrificed there. And it is but a picture that we might understand what it was like that God would give his only begotten son. Now listen, uh, tonight we're not going to look at the theological understanding of Jesus being God and yet being the Son of God and how that might make God feel. God's revealing these things that we would understand maybe in such a finite, temporal way what it would mean for God to put Jesus out to be killed. You with me? God's revealing that to us. And he's showing that here. The sacrifice of the innocent. Even in in Isaac asking, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where is it? And then God would say, and, and through providence and through no doubt inspiration, John, when he saw Jesus, would say, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Even showing, as we saw in Hebrews 11, uh, the resurrection. And I don't know about you, but we think about God's incredible sacrifice for us and sometimes we think about it as a theological necessity or we think about it in terms of just a biblical truth and sometimes we don't think about God's intentional revelation to us that he would say this was my son my only begotten son that I would give for you And I don't know if you're seeing what's taking place here, but way back in Genesis, God would say, hey, listen, it's so important that you're devoted to me that I would ask you to take Isaac up to slay him. And then at the last second, God would say, no, I would never want that pain for you. I would never want that hurt for you. I would never want Isaac to be harmed. Don't do that. And he would use that as a picture that he would give his only begotten son, and yet there'd be no stopping that. Yet that pain would go through. He said, I would want that devotion from you, but I don't want that harm for you. And over here he would say, I am devoted to you so much that I will endure that harm for you. Do you see that? What an amazing thing. What what an incomprehensible thing. The reality of the loss And once again, our finite minds cannot understand what that looks like to the mind of God. But God says, listen, I want you to understand that was loss. I gave my only begotten son for you. 
The pain that God endured having to watch his only son brutally murdered for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I, don't, I couldn't do that for you. If you took somebody in this room and said, um, you're going to have to kill Lincoln for them, I'm going to go, no way. I, don't <laughs> I can't think of a scenario in which I could ever be okay with that. This might even be just a horrible thing to say, but I'd probably kill those in here so I didn't have to have my son die. You with me? That's probably not something to be on tape, but you know, <laughs> you get the idea. I couldn't, I couldn't, I could never love someone in here, and I love you, I do, but I could never love you enough to watch my son die for you. I couldn't. I'm just honest, I couldn't do it. And yet God loved us so much that he would send his innocent son not deserving anything. I mean, as much as I can't comprehend it, my son really deserves to die being a sinner. And yet God would send his innocent son to die for you. And even going all the way back to Abraham saying, I would never ask you to do that, though. I would do it for you, but I wouldn't ask you to do it. I wouldn't make you do that. And the truth here is what, what God's getting at God's intention here for Abraham was never to sacrifice Isaac. That wasn't the point of what's going on here. If you know the story, the point is not that Isaac would die. God does not hate Isaac. This story is not about Isaac. <laughs> this is not about taking Isaac from Abraham. This was about showing Abraham just how much God desired his love and devotion. Just how much God would say, listen, you don't know me as much as they will when it's all revealed. But I want you to know, I want everything from you. I want it all. I want nothing to be more important in your heart and your mind and your soul than me. When the law would come later, he would say, the, the, pre the chief, the most important the greatest commandment is that you would love me with everything, your heart, your soul, your mind, your might. That's what I want, that nothing would be greater. Your son, later on Jesus would say, and we've already been here, in comparison to how much you love me, I want you to hate them. That's how much I want you to love me. God says, listen, the goal, the idea here is not that I want you to give up your son for me. He wants you to love him for giving his own son for you enough that you would be willing to. Do you see the difference? God says, I don't want, I don't want you to hurt. I don't want you to be in pain. I don't want you to go through life having to sacrifice your own child or that which is most precious to you. I don't want that for you. I just want you to love me enough that if, it, if that really was the choice, that you would. You see that? And we almost, we look at stories like Romeo and Juliet and we go, how silly. <laughs> that's just silly. But at the end of the day, that story has existed for as long as it has and is regarded as maybe the greatest love story ever told, because why? Because that's love. 
that one would be willing to give everything for the one they love. And God says, that's what I did for you. And I want you to love me like that. He says, even if you love me like that, you could never understand the true sacrifice that was made for you and how much greater that love really is for you. But I want you to love me in the way that I love you. God, listen, and here's the point. God would never s- cause you to suffer the unspeakable pain of the loss of your only son to prove your love for him, even though he did that for you. All the loss you've suffered, all the dreams in your life that have been crushed, the family you've maybe had to say goodbye to, the hardships that have stung deeper than you thought imaginable, I want you to understand outside of maybe even the point here what we're talking about is that none of them are because God wants you to suffer. Now we need to understand that. We need to understand that concept that as much as God sacrificed for you, as much as God calls us to sacrifice and to selflessness, none of the pain we've endured are because God wants your suffering or God wants you to prove your devotion to him through suffering. He says, no, 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 I did that for you is the point. And it's not equal. It's not like an exchange. He's not saying, I sacrifice for you, you sacrifice for me, we call it even. Not at all. The Christian life may be about, in many ways, sacrifice. But he says, I'm not just taking things out of your life to prove that you love me. I don't want your hurt. I don't want Isaac to die. I don't want your family to be in pain. I don't want you to have to wonder where your next meal comes from. That's not the point, in other words. That even if those things have to happen, and sometimes they do, it's not because God is looking for your suffering, it's because he's looking for your love. I hope that made sense to you. Suffering might be necessary in this earth, And it may have a greater purpose. And it may cost you a lot to serve him. And listen, it may cost you a lot to serve him, but it'll never cost you to love him what it costed him to love you. You understand the sacrifice here? No matter how much you might give for him, and listen, I understand the pain some of us go through and that it's a lot. And no matter how much we sacrifice, it never costs us as much to love him as it costed him to love us. And no matter how much it does cost, God would rather you didn't have to suffer that pain. The point here, can can we forget ourselves, in other words, our suffering and our loss long enough to realize how much God suffered for us? And just wants us to love him completely in return. We look at this story, in other words, and we come to this story of Abraham and Isaac and we think, man, how hard for Abraham. We look at the story and we go, God, how could you do that to Abraham? And the story is a picture, not of what God almost did for us, but what he really did for us. 
and our thoughts, that's our mind, that's humanity, that's who we are. When we come to our time of prayer, when hardship comes, our minds are immediately, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I suffer loss? Why is my family like this? And why is my marriage in trouble? And why are my kids in pain? And why did I have to lose that person? And why do I have struggles in money? And God, are you doing this to me to hurt me? Are you trying to prove something here, God? And God is saying, you're missing the point. Do you understand how much I gave for you? And I just want you to love me like that in return. I want it to be that no matter how much it costs, you would say what I said, that it's worth it. God doesn't want your Isaac, in other words. He wants you. That's what he's after. You say, I suffer loss. When will God give me more? He's not looking to take it away, and he's not looking to give it. He's looking to get you. He doesn't want you to be in pain, but he wants you to love him enough for his sacrifice that you'd be willing to give up anything or be thankful for the loss of anything just to be near to him. And we so often, our lives are filled so often with our own struggles and our own thoughts and our, our, our own pain. And, and, and we take that constantly to the cross of, God, why can't you fix this? And why is this happening in my life? And, and why isn't church better in this way? And why am I not served in this way? And why did this person offend me? And God's saying, listen, would you understand the point, the focus the idea of what I'm after. Yeah, I understand life is hard and it's sacrifice. And to serve me means maybe even more sacrifice and suffering. But I gave it all for you. And I want to know that you'd be willing to give it for me. He says, I loved you so much that I'd watch my son brutally murdered. And I would think it was worth it for you. And then we go, I love God, but I can't get over that a person offended me. And I go, something's way off. Oh, yes, I love God, but I'm not like going to go to church. It's excessive. It's a little much. And I go, it doesn't make sense. I love God, but because he allowed my marriage to fail, I don't want nothing to do with him. And I go, he watched his son brutally murdered for you. So something doesn't make sense here. The question of Genesis 22 for us is, why don't we love him the way he loves us? We might proclaim it from the mountaintops, but when it comes down to it, we so often choose so much before him. In other words, forget you, because God loved you enough to give that which he loved most for you. Can we not give up the idea of what we think a great life is for him? I know what, I get it, and we all have this idea, and... And I've been there, especially when you come to Christianity and you think, man, I got this mess of a life and I believe God's going to fix it and repair it and give me 
a great job and a great marriage and great kids and a great life and ease and comfort. And God says, maybe not. But is that okay? Is it okay if not? In other words, is the sacrifice I gave for you enough that you can love me even if it's not that? Even if it means loss? Even if it means sacrifice? Even if it means hardship? I really don't want that for you. But if, if that's what happens, in other words, is my sacrifice enough for your love? No matter what. No matter what it costs. Life hurts. Not because God wants it to, but because it does. That's the penalty for sin. We need to stop thinking that every ailment and every hardship in our life is because God wants our suffering. We need to stop being so focused on our own loss that we think everything is an effort or an affront to, to us. That everything's an attack on us. Can we begin to realize that the real sacrifice and the real suffering that took place was what Christ did for us? The real loss was that God gave his only son to die for us. Can we begin to do what the disciples did and what so many of the early church did and early Christians and be rejoice to suffer for him? What did Paul said? I would gladly rejoice in infirmities. I want to know God and the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, Paul says, I love God so much that I almost wish I could suffer to prove how much I love him. Do you understand that? I mean, that's the idea here. Is that they would go and they would get stoned and beaten and not complain. They weren't sad. They wouldn't go, God, why am I having to suffer? They go, can you believe we get to prove how much we love God right now? Can you believe that? That we get to go through this right now in this pain and we get to go through this being stoned to prove how much we really love God. I'm so excited that we get to show God how much we love him. That was their attitude. And our attitude today is, God, why haven't you given me a bigger house? Why do I have to sacrifice for you? Can I tell you, we're on a different wavelength. We're not on the same page as God's intention the real suffering is what he did for us. He says, would you just be willing? Would you just be willing to give it all for me? Would you love me so much that if I call you to sacrifice, you'd be excited to show how much you love me? The truth of the matter is, is in our lives and so many times, we've got a whole bunch of Isaacs. We've got a whole bunch of situations that we say, yes, God, I love you to this point, up to here. Yes, God, I love you, but I'm not going to this point. There's a line to that. You can have everything, God, but not my kids. That's where I draw the line. You can't have them. God, you can have everything, but not my marriage. God says, I want you to hate your spouse in your comparison to love for me. We say, God, I, I, you can have everything in my life, but listen, my job's going to come first. It just is. I don't know what to tell you. 
You can have everything in my life, but if following Christ means I have to sacrifice the wealth I've accumulated, it's going to be a no for me. And God says, no. Put it on the altar. I don't want to take it from you. That's not my desire. But I want everything from you. I want everything in your heart. I want every piece of your devotion and your love. So would you lay it on the altar? We so often say, God, you can have everything, and yet nothing changes. Can I tell you, something's weird. If you have a love for somebody so much that you would say, I would give up anything to be with you, and then you give up nothing to be with them, something's weird. <laughs> One of, part of that is not true, in other words. So many times we go, God, I appreciate your sacrifice, and I'm, thanking, I'm thankful for it, but I'm not going to change the way I live. I'm not going to be okay with the circumstances you give me. I'm not going to be brave enough to tell people about you. I'm embarrassed, and it's just too much. It's too much, God. I don't want to be embarrassed for you. I don't want to suffer loss for you. The point is, and I don't want to belabor it too much, but God's telling Abraham, listen, I don't want Isaac, but I want Isaac on the altar. God tells you and I, I don't want your loss, but I want it all right here. And I want everything. I loved you enough to die for you to give my only begotten son. Would you love me like that? You could never love me to that level, but would you love me in that way? That I'm most important. Can I tell you this? And I'll close, I promise. If Christians loved God that much, Christianity would not decline. Just wouldn't. If Christians loved God that much, the least attended service would not be outreach. And I understand people have things to do, and I'm, it's not an attack on anybody. I promise that's not my thought or my heart at all. But it just wouldn't be that way. If Christians loved God as much <laughs> as Abraham did right here, you wouldn't have to beg people to come to his house. You just wouldn't. In other words, if we really loved God as much as we pretend we do, and I'm talking about me, then a lot more would be on the altar than is. A lot more Isaacs would pile up there. God wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants it all. He wants you to serve him. But here's what I want you to understand. I don't want you to forget as we go through this. God doesn't want your loss. You may suffer loss, but it's not what he wants. He wants you. Let's stand to our feet and pray tonight.